Ben and I have been trying to address some of the questions that have come in from you all about how this pandemic is affecting like the most important parts of your life. We've looked at a lot of stuff. We looked at uh, fear and worry. We've looked at that claustrophobic feeling that the walls are closing in. That was a good one, right? And then last week, Ben gave us that inside look at what parenting looks like and feels like during this whole shelter and now safer at home. And, and the takeaway or the challenge each week is to kind of take, take a, a look at this new normal and see it maybe as an opportunity to, to look back at our old normal, the way our life was before COVID-19 hit and ask ourselves, do I want to go back to that? Do I want to go back to old normal? Or is maybe this a chance for, for me to, to hit pause and, and, and reboot or, or rethink some things and maybe move into a, a future with a newer, better version of normal? So, so today the question or the area of life that I've been asked uh, to, to address uh, about how this current world health and financial crisis is impacting your life is the, is the area of, of, of marriage, right? And that would include all the areas of marriage uh, that you would think, all right, uh, communication, uh, conflict, intimacy, lack of intimacy, all right? But I'm going to be honest with you, all right? Take a breath. I, I don't want to talk about marriage today. Or how about this? I don't want to just talk about marriage for, for a couple reasons, all right? First, based on who's watching this right now, People much smarter than me who know how to determine stuff like this have told me that many of you, if not even most of you, you're not married <laughs> yet or, or anymore. For some, some of that, because it's your own choice, uh, some due to circumstances beyond your control. In, in any case, um, that would leave you with, I guess, two or three different options. One is, I guess you could file this away for some day in the future, maybe, right? Or, or two... We do this a lot. We could beat ourselves up or, or beat somebody else up for a past broken relationship. That doesn't seem helpful. Or, or three, and I hope you haven't done this yet, but you can just flip the channel and go find something that feels more relevant to your life. And that last one, I want to talk about that one. Uh, don't flip the channel because today I believe might be one of, one of the most relevant, most helpful truths that if you were to apply it to your life, married or not married, it might make a really really big difference. And, and, and here's what I mean by that, all right? Um, as, as you read through the Bible, especially the Jesus parts of the Bible, you know what I mean by that, right? Um, that last like half of the Bible, while Jesus and some of the other writers, they might talk briefly about marriage, they talk about it, or parenting, or money, or sex, or divorce, or what to do when this happens, or that happens. Um, they, they talk about all that some, but almost every time both the cause and the solution to the crisis that they're talking about, it, it's almost always the same. The, the, the cause is this. Somebody took their eye off the right thing and put it on the wrong thing and things fell apart. And then the, the solution is the same too. Is I got I to gotta change my mind. That's where we're going to land today. I got to change my mind and I need to start looking back at the right thing. And then the promise in, in scripture is and then things start coming back into line, coming back into the right perspective again. So let, let me use marriage as one example, an example, but really you could fill in the blank with just about any topic or area of your life that you're pointing to in this season right now and going, COVID-19 is ruining my life or financial stress, all right, uh, or lack of privacy or lack of intimacy or, or bad sex life. I'm filling the blank. That is ruining my marriage. It's ruining my family. It, it's, it's ruining my, my relationships, what, my whatever. Here, here's what I've actually experienced over the last eight weeks. The couples, the couples I'm in contact with that are blowing up right now are pointing at one another and saying things like this. You're not meeting my needs. You're not meeting my expectations. You're on my last nerve. 
And that's because their eyes are fixed on their husband or their wife or their eyes are fixed on themselves. They're saying things like this. You're supposed to do something for me and you're not doing it. You're not delivering what I want you to do. See, if, if I'm looking to my wife, Robin, if I'm looking at Robin to meet all my hopes and needs and expectations and all my wants and meet all my dreams, I have basically put her and us in a, like a no-win, it's-gonna-fail situation. Because she can't. She can't deliver what I really need at my deepest level to be okay. But, but if I'm looking to Jesus for what I really need, and I know that sounds so churchy, and I'll explain it in a minute, but when I'm focused on Jesus, then when, when the stuff with Robin comes up, and it does, it, it's gonna be Okay. Or, or, or at least it's not a, like a no-win, make-or-break, ultimatum situation because she doesn't have to do that for me anymore. I don't expect that from her. Why? Because I'm getting it from God. See, I, I, could throw out, I could throw out a whole bunch of Bible verses about what a husband is expected to do and deliver for his wife. I've got a bunch of them. What he's supposed to do for his family. I could do the same thing in the wife's direction back to her husband and her family. And those verses get thrown around all the time, usually as weapons, right? The Bible says that she should do that. The husband should do that. The wife should be that, right? The part that, get, the part that gets overlooked almost every time is that in every case, Every case, whatever the husband or the wife or anybody is supposed to do or not do in that situation, it's directly linked to their own personal relationship with Jesus, their connection with Jesus. And then out of the overflow of that connection with Jesus, that's what directs and informs what I'm gonna do in my spouse's direction. And don't limit it to that. It's the same thing that it, limit, it kind of directs and informs how I, how I treat my kids or how I treat my parents or brother to brother or friend to friend. It's always some version of this, these, these verses I've just been living in for the last couple of months. It's that Hebrews 12. We've got to fix our eyes on Jesus. I've got I to look to Jesus. It says he's the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Pioneer. Leaders go first. He went first. He goes on and says this. You've got to consider him. And that's just Bible talk for you've got to think about Jesus. You've got to remember Jesus and what he's like and what he's done for you. Why? So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I just keep on going with that and tap out and say, I can't do this anymore. We've all been there. But the, the solution to anything that makes you want to grow weary and lose heart and quit is not, you got to figure out your marriage. You got you to work hard and fix your marriage. No, it's not it. It's not five steps to better communication with your, with your wife or your kids. It's not do this and Jesus guarantees you'll get your job back and you'll get your income. It'll go up. No, it's always, always, okay, time out. You got to think about who God is. You got to remember what kind of God it is that, that you have. And we can find that kind of God fully described in the person of Jesus. It says, it says this, if you'll do that, that, focusing on Jesus, that will fill everything that needs to be filled on the inside. And then out of the overflow of that, Jesus promises, this is flattering. Jesus promised, he says, uh, my father, our father, your father, God, will supply everything you need in all the parts of your life. And that has to include what's missing in the most important relationship in your life, your marriage. So, that's a promise. The, the problem, so the problem with that is I, twofold. Maybe there's more, twofold. First, it, that sounds too good to be true and a bit simplistic. That's it, right? Okay. Second, most of us, aren't interested in settling for what we need. 
Now, we, we have a whole list of wants and expectations that may or may not be what we need and may or may not be what God wants for us. And so we want something else. And so we take our eyes off of Jesus and, and we put them on something or someone else and we go looking for it. And then, if you're anything like me, you start griping and complaining when your life falls apart. We'll even, and I've done this, I'll even blame God for the unsatisfying part of my marriage or whatever. But it is because I took my eyes off of God. Not that God wasn't supplying what I need to be okay. That's just honest. A, a, a guy named Paul, he, he, big, big writer in the Bible, he writes this a letter to some people who live in a city called Colossae. And in the Bible, it's called the book of Colossians, all right? Now, these people that he's writing to are like a lot of us. He's, he's writing to people who say or claim, I believe in Jesus. I have faith in Jesus, all right? I trust him with all the parts of my life. And, and they meant all the parts, the spiritual parts, the physical, the relational, the sexual, the financial parts. All of my life, I trust Jesus. So Paul writes this in, in the third chapter of this letter. He says this, he says, since... Since then, you have been raised with Christ. So if, if you really are leaning your life and, and trusting on, in Christ, since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on, on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Not just your hearts, he goes on, goes, and then set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Now, it keeps on going, and, and, and I encourage you to read the rest of that chapter on your own, but in all of this and what comes next, you know what? There is not one command about what a person should do so their marriage turns out well, or their family starts getting along better, or that they can be on an upward you know, financial path to security. No, there's nothing in there about, here's, here's what you're supposed to do if your hus husband is selfish and passive aggressive, or your wife is a total witch. It's not in there. No, it's all about, it's all about what needs to be changed inside of you, and who and what you need to set your heart and your mind on especially when the people we live with, they're not showing up as spouse of the year. It's, it's really hard, right? And that applies not just to your, to your marriage. That, that applies to uh, how you're getting along with your parents or how you're getting along with your brothers and sisters, how you're getting along with people at, at, at work or, or your friends. It all comes back to that. I don't, I don't do many weddings, but when I do, there's this one part I always put in there I have these, you know, this beautiful man and woman, you know, all dressed up. And I look at them and go, hey, news, newsflash, this is as easy as marriage gets. This is a party, which is why you're about to make promises to one another that no one in the history of marriage has ever pulled them off perfectly. And they won't either. So like the umbrella promise that covers everything in this marriage is this promise of grace. Forgiveness and the promise that I'm not going to go anywhere. I'm not going to quit when, not if. It's not an if. It's a when you, you make a mistake and fail. I'm going to show you the same grace that Jesus gives me. I say that in every wedding. Hey, here's the other thing I always say. I look at the bride and I look at the groom and I say this. Hey, don't make him or don't make her the center of your life. You're my everything. Listen, that makes a great country song, but it will end up being a disaster of a marriage because they're not, supposed, they're not supposed to be your everything. They can't be your everything. 
No, I look at this bride and groom and I say, you got you to make Jesus the center of your life. Run after him first, like seek him first. And the result is as you're doing that, then you become the man or you become the woman that God intended you to be and created you to be. And then the, the, the result, the overflow of that is your spouse gets a, a great husband or you get a great wife. Or eventually you're, you're the best mom or dad or son or daughter or brother or sister possible because your life actually starts looking like the one that God had in mind for you. And it's good good. It's a good life. It's better than what you could ever come with, up with by just trying to just keep her happy or satisfied or demanding that they do that back in your direction. It's impossible. It'll fail. I promise. It'll fail every time. Maybe not right away. Maybe not in those first weeks or months, all right? But eventually it will, inevitably. And here's why. Remember this? Don't try to get from someone or something what you can only get from God. Yeah, let that sink in, all right? right? I mean, look at this. It's going to be on the screen here, all right? Don't try to get from some person or something what you can only get from God. And that includes, that includes the people under your roof. Spouses make terrible gods, small g. Your, your kids make terrible gods, all right? Your job, your hobbies, you're making money, that, that's, there's nothing wrong with those things. They just make horrible gods. You're a, you're a horrible god. And when you try to get from those gods, any, any of them, what the, what the one true God can give you, it, it's not fair. And it will fail. It will fail. So what's the solution? You got to get your eyes back off of whatever it was and set your mind back on the one true God. So back at the beginning of this talk, I made a statement. I said this, remember? And I believe this by experience. Crisis doesn't build character. Crisis reveals character. Here's, here's another statement. It's going to make more than a few of you mad. You might even flip the channel, but here it is, and I believe it. Again, by personal experience. Ready? I believe the condition of, not my, but our, your, all right? The condition of your marriage is a primary indicator of the condition of your relationship to God. That makes, it's got to make sense when you analyze it, right? The two most important relationships in your life, God and the person that you're married to, or God and, and your kids, right? If you're not married, or God and your best friend, whatever your situation, God and the most important person in your life, they have to be tied together, right? They have to be related. Meaning this, if my relationship with God is unhealthy and distant, if, if I'm not looking to and depending upon God to take care of me at the deepest, most important level, then that means I'm, I'm looking to something or someone else, like Robin, like my wife. And then if she can't do it, which she can't, I, I'll look to something or someone else, like another person, or pornography, or my career, or, or, or my, my, my body, my health, or, or maybe a bottle, some addictive substance. And none of it will work, but I'll keep on trying. And then I'll hit something, or we'll hit something like a, COVID-19 stay at home and what I thought was under control, the thing I thought I had numbed or ignored for a long time, I'm locked in, indoors with it. It is staring me in the face. See, because crisis reveals what's really true about us. And it's been true a while. We just tried to pretend it wasn't. Now, hopefully you haven't changed the channel, but listen, listen, no one's perfect, Right? I'm not throwing stones at anybody. I am sure that there is plenty of blame to go around in whatever dysfunctional relationship you find yourself in. But 
If you were honest, I'm trying to be honest with myself. If you were honest, if you were to go like way back, like upstream of your life, there was a time when you took your eyes off of Jesus taking care of you and you went looking for someone else or something else to do something for you, make you happy, keep you satisfied, make you feel like important or strong or manly or whatever, and they didn't do it. They couldn't, not long-term, not because they're bad, but because they were never meant to do those things for us. But if, but if we're ever gonna experience anything like close to a new normal that we say we would like to have in the most important parts of our life, then something has to change, right? Not, not in her or not in him, not in another person, in us, in us. This past week on, on my Rethink podcast, which I told the listeners earlier this week, it's a teaser from this talk I'm giving today because all this stuff is going in my mind. But Cole, my co-host, he asked me a question about what a person was to do if they wanted to make changes in their life, everything from leadership changes, changes in their marriage or families or addictions. Cole, Cole asked me, where, where do you start? Where would they start? Because most people, we look at you know, making changes and we go right to, yeah, it's too hard. I, I, can't, I can't change that. And I, and I said something that, again, most people don't want to hear. And when I say it again, it's going to make some of you mad. Not because you don't think what I'm saying is true, but because at some level, you know what I'm about to say is true and you don't want to deal with it. And that's, I'm teaching myself. I, I think this talk should be called, Jim goes old school and makes half the church angry in one talk, right? Uh, this is where all the people who aren't married are going, oh, this isn't even for me. It's all for those screwed up married people, right? Uh, no, listen, the truth is universal, married or single. Cole asked me this, what about the people who don't know how to change or don't know a lot about Jesus to fix their eyes or their minds on so they say they can't change? And I looked across the table at him and I, and I called BS, not true. I said, hey, Cole, I don't think you're giving people enough credit I think that we're giving people a pass to play that victim card. That's our whole culture is about that victim card. Oh, I can't change. It's too hard. It, it is hard. The most important parts of our life that need to change, it is hard. But Jesus wouldn't tell us to do something that was impossible or that he wouldn't make possible. For him to, to do that, that would be mean and cruel. And that's not what kind of God he is. See, see changing your relationship with God is exactly the same as, as any other thing in your life that you want to change, right? You have to change your mind. It all starts with, you have to change your mind and what you're going to set your mind and your eyes on. What am I going to focus on? And the response I, I, I hear all the time is, well, you know, I don't know a lot about God or Jesus. I don't even know what it means to fix my eyes. I don't even know what, what any of that means. Okay, 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 that's fair. But there was a day when you didn't know a lot about, I don't know, baseball, or basketball, or the NFL, or hunting, or golf, or computer programming, or whatever it is you're into. But at some point in history, you made a decision, you made a choice, and you set your mind on those things. And you set a course in that direction, and now you're so into it, you're placing bets in Vegas on certain games because it's a win because you did your research. You're watching the draft because you know that's what my team needs. And the only thing that changed started in history on a day I'm going to change my mind. I'm going, to, I'm going to set my mind. And then you formed your life around what your mind was set on because you wanted to. Because you wanted to and you made a choice. You made a decision. That has value and it's worth 
setting my mind on, which means this, I believe this, I believe your mind is the most important part of you. Your mind is the most, I'm not talking about your brain, I'm talking about your mind and your thoughts. You wanna go really deep? All right, let's get philosophical here, all right? Your mind is the part of you that makes you most like God because you are a powerful spiritual being with a mind and your mind is your willpower and your physical body simply goes and does whatever your mind sets itself on and chooses to go after. Your body just follows. Your mind is the most godlike part about you. It's your willpower. It's how you choose what your life is gonna be about. It's true. So where do you start? What practical thing can I... Can I give you today that might be that, that first step to change, a, a new, better normal? Not in my marriage or in any other thing going on in my life that's really stressed out right now. I'm talking about what needs to change in, in me. And the rest will follow. But if you skip over this part, if you don't get this thing right in you, the rest is destined to fall apart. So where do you start? You gotta set your mind on God. You gotta fix your eyes on, on something better. So here's what I'm doing right now. I'm not saying you have to do it, but here's what I'm doing. I started studying the 23rd Psalm last week to get ready for a series I'm gonna do later this summer. So, so if you don't know where to start, how about you start with this, all right? And you've heard this before, all right? It starts with this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And I know you read that and go, you look around and go, I, that's not true. I'm in want. No, you're not. No, you're not. You don't have everything you want. You have everything you need. See, anytime, so the Lord, all right? And anytime you see the word Lord in all caps in the Bible, that's like God's big, powerful name. It means all-sufficient one. It means provider. It means self-existent one. Nobody created him. He's, he is always himself. He's the one, all right, who can speak and create matter out of the energy of his voice. I can't do that, all right? So he can just speak and he can create anything that he chooses to create. So if that's my shepherd, if that's my caretaker, what is it that I'm afraid I might need that he won't provide for me if he knows I need it? What, 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 am, I, what am I gonna like, <coughs> what am I gonna wring my hands and say, yeah, 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 he's that. He's the creator of the universe, but, but what about food? And what about my mortgage? And what about my health? And then what about this happens? Hey, the, the Lord is your shepherd. You're focusing on the wrong things. Focus on your shepherd. Seek first Jesus. And he promises, he promises, right there in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, the food and everything else you need will be provided to you. And I know the response is that, oh yeah, sure, prove that. No, you prove it. Prove it and see if, see if it doesn't work. Try it and see if God doesn't take care of you. See, the reason that we don't know God will take care of us is because we've never really tried it, never risked it. See, Jesus promises, he promises, you seek me first and I'll take care of, of your marriage because, again, I believe your marriage is one of the primary indicators of how things are going between you and God. See, again, if, if what's going on in my marriage is the thing I'm fixed on, then everything that happens in that marriage is magnified because that has like taken over my whole world. But when I'm paying attention to God, who he is and what he's like and what he promises and, and what he says is true about him and about me and about us, then, then Robin, we're gonna get sideways sometimes. Of course, all right? We're gonna let each other down. We're gonna make each other mad. I'm gonna ask for something and get denied and it's gonna get really frustrating. 
but not nearly as frustrating as my whole life is I've, I've got to have sex tonight or I've got to, I've got to get my way in this. I've got to make more, more money, whatever, all right? Listen, you're not going to always get that, but it, and it will still be frustrating, but not nearly as, as frustrating because my life is fixed on, my, my life is set on, my life is defined by something higher, bigger. My, my life's not defined on Robin and I. It's defined by God and what he can, can do inside of me. See, it, it always starts with changing your mind. It's that Colossians 3. We've we got to set our minds on things above and not on worldly things. Because if I, if, I, if I set my mind on things that are in the world, right, including people, if I set my mind on Robin or my kids or my grandkids or my salary, my whatever, right, they'll always let you down. Not because they're bad but because they cannot do for you what only God can do for you. And until we change our minds about that, it's the old normal on repeat forever. Okay, so I, I, need, to, I need to land this plane and kind of wrap this up, but I'm, I'm reading a book by, by Dallas Willard called Life Without Lack. Dallas Willard, Life Without Lack. I, it's a study of the 23rd Psalm. Uh, I highly recommend it. And again, this summer, I'm gonna be teaching through this. So go ahead and order that and, and start reading through it with it. But anyway, in that book, I didn't see this coming. He, he, he tells you, in like the first couple of chapters, he says, name your biggest fear in any part of your life. And so if you're listening to me right now, I want you to think of, you know, do, do the same thing. What, what might, might be your greatest fear right now? And it might be with your marriage. It might be with your health. It might be with your finances. It might be with a relationship. For me, Cole asked me, like, what's the most you know, thing I'm most afraid about? And it would be the loss of the separation from the people that I love the most in this world. That'd be my family. And then I'd be left alone. That just terrifies me. So in that book, uh, Dallas, he throws a curve and he says, play that fear out to the worst case scenario, to the scariest end that you can imagine. What, what would you do if that happened? And I don't know. I don't know what I would do. And then he says, worst case scenario, where is God? He's with me. And then where are you? I'm with God. And are you okay? Yeah, eventually. Eventually, yeah, I'll be okay. You'll be okay. Why? Because the Lord's my shepherd. He'll take care of me. That doesn't mean that there won't be pain or heartache or loss. Not, that, that's always going to be here, this side of heaven. But I know I'll be okay. Jim, how can you say that? Because the Lord's my shepherd. He's my caretaker and he'll take care of me. And I have to change my mind about him. I have to set my mind on him and not my problems. I have God and God is like this and says this and does this. And he tells me that he loves me and will be my caretaker, right, for everything that I need. And that's my life. So, again, let me wrap this up. If I could leave you with one thing that might, that might, set you on a new path to a new normal. And again, please don't dumb this down to a talk about marriage. I'm talking about a new normal for the kind of person you are. And the way you start is by changing your mind and start remembering and fixing your eyes upon God. So here's what I'm trying to do. And I'm just gonna ask you to do this with me. What if before you get out of bed in the morning or while you're still in the bathroom, doing bathroom stuff, still in the shower, before the crap of life hits the fan of life, and you have to face this normal that you have to face every day. What if you, this is what I'm doing, what if you said out loud, very slowly, Psalm 20, 23, 
like this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The creator of the universe is my provider, my protector, my creator, and I'm going to be okay. He makes me lie down in green pastures. I've studied this. Sheep only lay down when they're fully satisfied. Otherwise, they're out getting food. He said, he leaves me. He, he has me lay down in green pastures. He satisfies me. He leaves me beside still waters. He won't let me get in over my head. How about that, all right? I mean, I can push him out of the way and I can get in, all right? But it won't be because he led me there. No, no, no. He restores my soul. He's healing and he's mending and he's rebuilding all the broken, hurting parts inside of me that have tried to rob me of my joy. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. When I follow him down whatever path he takes me down today, I discover new ways every day about how good and faithful he is every day. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why not? It's death because I'm not alone. What do you mean? Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You anoint my head with with oil. God, you see me like I'm family, like a king sees his son or a daughter. My cup overflows. My heart's not just half full. My heart's not even full. My heart is so overflowing, it can't be kept in. It's running out and it's splashing on the most important people in, in my life. Surely, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord, the creator of the universe forever. See, if that's true, if we believe that, we memorize it, we set it every day until it becomes part of the DNA of, of, of our minds. My, my question is, what difference would that make in us when this or any other, because another one's coming, crisis hits? What, what about your character would that reveal? And, and what difference might that say to the people in our life that we say we love the most? So one of the one of the best pieces of advice I got from my counselor during my sabbatical was this. Hey, Jim, don't go with your first edit. Meaning emotion comes up with me and I just want to vomit words out, all right? So he said, don't, don't say the first thing that comes to mind. Take a breath because the first edit is the one that usually gets you in trouble and it's not the one you want to live with. Uh, but if you say it, then you're going to be stuck with it. So let me say this and I'm done. When it comes to your spouse or your kids or your parents or your friends, what if they, they need to hear from you this edit? Hey, we're going to be okay. Why? Why? How can you say that? How can you promise that? I'm not promising that. Here's how I can say it. Because the Lord is our shepherd. And he, he, he'll make sure that we have what we need. He promises. And my eyes are looking at him. And I believe he's going to do it again. And we're going to be okay. Let's, let's pray. So God, I have a feeling that this talk brings up a whole lot of stuff because um, we're talking about the most important parts of our life. We're talking about this person that we thought we'd be together with forever and now it's like it's, it's breaking. We thought that we'd always have these people in our life and it seems like even though we're kind of crammed together, we're, we're further apart than ever before and we look at everything that's going wrong and our fingers are pointing at other people, but before anything changes in any of that, we have to just kind of come, come clean with you and go, God, there's some stuff in me that needs to change. I took my eyes off of this and I put them on this. I took my eyes off of you and I put them on some other things and they let me down. So God, 
before I ask anything to change in my marriage or my family or my money or whatever that is, will you search me and, and will you point out to me what needs to change in me? Will you search my mind and, 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 and tell me and show me the things that I have set my eyes and my mind on and then will you draw me back to you? Because if I can do that, then the overflow of that will help heal everything that's broken in my life. I believe that. I do, I believe that. I love you. You're my shepherd. You're the Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.